we see ourselves as a six-star hotel. The candidates come and sometimes they stay and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get jobs with other consulting companies. But it is our philosophy to make sure that every candidate wants to come back and stay in the FPS hotel, six stars. We really look after the candidates. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today is Paul Taff. Paul is the founder and CEO of Finance People Solutions in Frankfurt. He's been in the recruitment business since 2014, and prior to that, he was either a CFO or CRO for organizations such as Pepsi, Nike, Lear, Dell, as as well as having worked in private equity. Paul is one of my coaching clients, and I asked him to come on the show to discuss how he's been so successful running a boutique firm and how he's been able to double the business on average yearly since 2015. Paul is the sole fee earner with a small support team and last year did over 3 million euros in revenue. He also managed to close five deals in April despite the coronavirus. So I'm very keen to find out how he managed to pull that off. Paul, welcome. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy belated birthday. We both had birthdays recently about one week apart. Um, do you mind me saying what birthday you just celebrated? Oh, it's a, it begins with a six. <laughs> a and it's the first, Mark, it's the first one that begins with a six. Fantastic. So well, I turned 60 on May 4th. And by the way, congratulations to yourself as well, of course. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's a, a major milestone. And did that, I, I know people always ask, like, do you feel different? But um, the birthdays with a zero on the end do seem more significant. Did Was this significant for you in any way? Um, yeah, my first thought was, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> is this happening to me? And um, I mean, I've had some friends who turned 60 a few months ago and then and we chatted about uh, about it. And my first reaction was, Jesus, I am getting old. But then throughout the course of the day, I felt, uh, Jesus, 60 is young. And of course, there's no change physically from one day to the next. Yeah, of course. Uh, but then you start thinking, uh, a thought that came to my mind was, God, I'm glad I'm not 70. That must be really <laughs> old. <laughs> awesome. So I've managed, Mark, to, uh, through my eternal optimism, to convince myself that I'm still a young fellow. Well, absolutely. 60 is a new 50, I think. So Yeah, that's uh, well put. But you, uh, you've definitely gained a lot of wisdom over the years, which is what I want to tap into today. Um, so I understand you were, you're Irish, right? But you've lived in Germany a long time. How long have you been in Germany? Yeah, I was born and raised in Ireland. Uh, um, and then I left Ireland in my early 20s and um, decided to go on a world tour and uh, ended up uh, coming through Frankfurt, Germany. Then I, I've, I've lived in quite a few different places in, in Italy, in Switzerland, in Sweden, Holland, uh, but ended up getting married here in, in Frankfurt and having two wonderful children who were born here in Frankfurt and uh, decided to stay in Frankfurt. Frankfurt is now home. I've spent two-thirds of my life here. I, I love living in Germany. We have a great quality of life. I'm a huge fan of Eintracht Frankfurt, which uh, uh, people who know me here in Germany will, will confirm. And uh, 
in the middle of Europe, great cosmopolitan city, small, very small city, 750,000 population, hugely international, hugely tolerant city, and a great place to live. Nice. All right. Fantastic. So, Paul, could you just start out telling uh, us a little bit about who is FPS? Yes, I could. Uh, all right, I certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought when I was thinking about the name after I decided to set up my own company, um, and the reason I did that, Mark, was because I was fed up of living out of hotel rooms and suitcases. Uh, I wanted to come back um, to Frankfurt, and uh, I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs. My dad, my brother, my sister all had their own companies. And um, so the name obviously suggests the meeting, finance, we focus on the finance function, uh, CFOs uh, down two levels below. That's what we cover. So we only do finance and, uh, and people. It's all about people, and that's the fun part. Um, and then the last part, which I think is very appropriate, is solutions. Uh, I mean, we apply different solutions to different situations. Um, we do permanent, obviously. We do interim. Um, we do interim to permanent, uh, which I think we were the first uh, to market that here in here in Germany, and it's uh, been very popular and very successful. Um, you know, in these in these turbulent days, having an open CFO slot or an open head of controlling or accounting or tax slot can be very expensive. So uh, our mission is to make sure no customer has an open slot for very long and we place our interim people, you know, um, literally within a matter of days. Wow, cool. Uh, So it seems to me that finance and particular senior finance roles, that's a very competitive market. How have you been able to thrive in that market against you know, much bigger competitors, Paul? It is indeed a very competitive marketplace. And uh, uh, we actually uh, do not go head on into competition with uh, what I would call, you know, the really big players. Uh, um, I try and avoid that. And uh, thus, how have we managed to be successful? Uh, I think the the recipe for success is uh, building relationships um, and I have built uh, through my own career uh, lots of relationships that have that are long lasting uh, that I invest time in maintaining um, and I do the same in the business world I, I build relationships I develop relationships and um, my um, closest relationships are with my candidates um, I mean my our philosophy at FBS we're a small team there there are five of us is we see ourselves as a six-star hotel and the candidates come and sometimes they stay with our customers and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get jobs with other consulting companies. But it is our philosophy to make sure that every candidate wants to come back and stay in the FPS hotel, six stars. We really look after the candidates. We make sure we keep them fully up to speed on how recruitment process is going. Uh, I think we do that better than most of our competitors and our candidates appreciate that. Um, so that's how we've managed to be successful is, um, is growing successful relationships with, with top candidates. I mean, clearly we're fussy about the quality of the candidates we have and that's 
uh, that's something that uh, is, you know, is key for our customers. When they get CVs from us, uh, they always comment on the on the quality uh, of the people we send. And I, I interview everybody personally. Um, I think that's an important people uh, piece of of our of our success story. Um, you could ask yourself how scalable is that, uh, and then you ask yourself how many hours are in the day. But if you're having fun, uh, then you know it doesn't seem to take a lot of time, and and I really do enjoy the people bit. Awesome. So, Paul, I I would like to delve a bit deeper into that because I think most recruiters want strong relationships with clients and candidates, and 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 most recruiters try to develop those strong relationships. But I guess the question is, how have you done it? Like, what you've obviously really nailed that part of this business. Could you give a little more detail around how you've accomplished that? Yeah, sure, Mark. Um, well, I think it's down to personality at the end of the day. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very open, uh, there's a great German word called uncomplicated, uncompliziert person. And I can build chemistry with people very quickly. And I, and I love working with people. And, uh, you know, because of, I've had a pretty successful career myself with, um, you know, very high standard companies like uh, Nike or Dell or Pepsi-Cola or Lear Corporation, uh, you know, I know what it takes to be a really good CFO in a demanding world, uh, also in the private equity portfolio jobs that I had. Uh, so I can relate to candidates very, very quickly. And I think that's the USP. The candidates know when they talk to me, he's a CFO and he was a successful CFO. And they often comment that uh, that makes a huge difference versus uh, uh, talking to other recruiters who, who don't know anything um, as close to me about a particular, you know, how a CFO performs their job and what's important. Uh, and that kind of thing. So, you know, having been a CFO and and also been a very open, uh, uh, uncomplicated person, I love that German word, uh, is how I build chemistry. And and it is my objective to give candidates advice and not necessarily uh, for the position that I'm talking about. If they don't fit, then they don't fit. But I, I do a lot, I spend a lot of time when I, when I talk to candidates going through their CVs and giving my advice as to what I think would be a good route to go career-wise. And they appreciate that. And that's why they come back and always want to have a chat. Okay, so if I can um, try and, 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 and parse this. So number one, obviously you come from a CFO background yourself. You've been very successful in that role. So you, there's, uh, you have a lot in common with your candidates. You can relate to them on a deeper level you really understand them and they know that. So that's one factor. Number two is personality. What's that German word for uncomplicated? Unkompliziert. Okay, brilliant. So so that you've got your personality going for you, you really enjoy this aspect of the business and, and the, the relationship side. And so, you know, if you enjoy that, then that's gonna, you know, naturally lead to a great rapport with people. Number three is you take time to give advice uh, help people with their CV, and and even if it doesn't immediately or directly benefit you, I, I guess is what you were uh, alluding to there. Um, I think you and I have spoken before about you regard yourself almost as a coach. You do quite a lot of coaching for your candidates. Could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I certainly can, and it is very true, Mark. Um, 
uh, you always end up uh, um, when you're having a conversation with, uh, let's say, a CFO uh, talking about his career and and I mean that is always their first priority, apart from you know family and all that good stuff, is uh, where they are on their career. I mean the 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 CFOs that we deal with are are, are usually you know the the top notch uh, people, ambitious, structured, successful, and so we automatically end up talking about the career and how I view a next step. And I'm also very open if I don't think they fit into a particular slot that we have. Uh, then I will I will tell them that, and um, if I feel they fit into a slot and they're they're a little bit reluctant at the beginning, then I'll I'll try and uh, you know convince them, or I'll at least explain as to why I think it could make a lot of sense. And it, it's that openness and genuine interest on my part um, that uh, forges these relationships. Um, and you know when CFOs who don't perhaps don't get a position via us. I mean, as you know, there's an awful lot of players in a, in a country with over 80 million uh, people. Um, but if, they, if they've enjoyed my coaching or my support uh, and they move into a CFO job, then the first person they call, if they need a head of controlling or accounting or tax, uh, I would like to think is, is, is me. In, in a lot of cases, it is. So that's interesting. Do you find that because you're the one who has taken the time and given the, the, the best advice to the candidate, that even if they ultimately get a job through one of your competitors, you end up winning them as a, as a client once they're in their new position? Yeah, I mean, that's clearly, that's clearly the objective. Uh, now, I mean, uh, those guys also have their own uh, uh, network of headhunters. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's not untypical, and my colleagues will know this, uh, if a headhunter places you, then there's a bit of loyalty expected uh, um, when it comes to hiring your team. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's often the case. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I do get a lot of uh, uh, my, my main customers are CFOs. And, and, and Mark, I have become friends with so many of these candidates. I mean, they're not just candidates. That sounds very cold. You know, they're, they're friends or business friends of mine. Yeah. Paul, I'm interested in this. Like, how have you taken those relations? Because, I mean, that is quite a different thing to have a professional relationship with a candidate and to deliver an excellent service. But you've kind of taken it to the next step, which is to have a kind of professional, you know, friendship with them. How how have you achieved that? Like, can you give us some some concrete uh, steps? Yeah, I mean, if I, if I enjoy uh, a conversation with a, with a, let's say a CFO, the first uh, the first conversation I have, and uh, uh, I mean, uh, as you, as I said, I'm a huge football fan. So let's say we touch base on football, and uh, uh, this person uh, also, I mean, as most Germans, they have their own clubs. And uh, I mean, I quite often invite them then if they're playing in Frankfurt to come around to our what we have uh, is a Stammtisch, which is a is a, a big German tradition where we you have the same people meeting every couple of weeks before we go to our home game here or before we watch, uh, for example, uh, Ireland playing rugby in, in, in one of the Irish pubs in Frankfurt. And I'd invite those people along. I mean, I'm a bit of a people animal. I just, I just love uh, meeting people. And uh, I always try and keep up relationships going with people, um, whether it's, you know, inviting them to my, my birthday parties, which I like to have, or, uh, 
my second marriage uh, wedding party last year here in in in, uh, in Frankfurt. We had 170 people attend, and a lot of those people were friends that I'd made over my career, and who'd worked for me or with me or who I'd met uh, in my in my finance people solution days. Yeah, I just think it's uh, kind of fits together if you enjoy. Uh, um, working with somebody and spending time with somebody, then uh, you develop a relationship and that quite often uh, goes beyond the, the normal business relationship to become a friend. Uh, uh, I mean, particularly when it comes to a career advice and you talk about, you know, should you take your family with you? And I always advise them not to do so. Um, so, you know, I give them very open advice, which I think probably they're not used to when they talk to quite a lot of the other uh, um, uh, recruiters. Uh, and of course, there are other excellent recruiters in the marketplace, very successful. But uh, I don't think it's, it's the general rule to be as open as I am uh, with, uh, with candidates and, and to show such keen interest uh, uh, to, to help those candidates along in their careers. So this is excellent, Paul. What I'm, what I'm learning is... I mean, it's the idea of corporate hospitality isn't new. I mean, that's been around for decades, right? But your approach to it is very, very personal. So whereas some companies might do hospitality and it's purely a kind of business thing, they're only doing it really to try and schmooze the client. Um, but you're you're doing the things that actually are, are you're interested in. So, you know, Irish rugby, you know, German football, you birthday, wedding, you know, you're, these are very personal and, and things that you're passionate about and you're involving your clients and candidates, you know, in those experiences. So it is a much deeper level of hospitality. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, clearly that's a minority as well. I mean, uh, I don't have the capacity to, to maintain friendships with, uh, with so many people, but uh, um, uh, you said it uh, uh, quite uh, uh, correctly, Mark. Uh, I enjoy it. And mm. uh, why should you uh, uh, not continue to do something you, you enjoy? And if, if it's a good business relationship and I, I, I don't have a problem maintaining professionalism, even if I'm, I'm friends with somebody, I still uh, give them you know, my opinion and, and, uh, and be very uh, um, firm on, on particular points. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of fairness on both sides from customers and from, from, from us and from candidates. And uh, I, I do have a problem if, if fairness, uh, uh, you know, is, is breached and that that's a reason for me not to do business uh, with a particular customer. If I find them uh, being unfair and that's a bit of a, bit of a stomach emotion as we all know, but uh, I, I absolutely have very little tolerance for um, not, um, for not being, dealt uh, with uh, fairly. Mm, excellent. I, I agree 100% with that. Now, the kind of hospitality you're talking about obviously isn't possible currently. What's been your corona experience and how has, you know, how have you adapted to that? Yeah, corona has been kind of mind-blowing, I think, for everybody, uh, um, because in our generation, we, we've never witnessed it. Um, so, it, it makes you, I find, it made me very pensive and, uh, and, and doing a lot of thinking and you, you spend a lot more time with a smaller group of people or indeed on your own. Um, and uh, I've actually, uh, 
quite enjoyed it. To a certain extent, my wife's a wonderful cook, uh, so we don't go to restaurants anymore. Um, and previously, I was a bit of a restaurant junkie, and uh, and uh, I don't think I will become that again. Um, I clearly, you miss uh, meeting your, your your mates and and going to football. We miss the football a lot, um, and going to the pubs because being Irish, you know, you have that pub. Um, culture in your DNA, so that's that's gone, at least for for the for the time being. But in terms of you know business wise, uh, as you rightly said at the beginning, we made five placements in in April. Uh, all of those placements were were digital. Um, there was one exception where where one of my CFO customers actually uh, met the guy then in in, in Munich, but uh, that was just to hand over the signed contract. They'd already made the decision uh, uh, on video uh, meetings. Right, and uh, um, I mean we're very digital uh, anyway. Uh, it's 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 not pragmatic to be you know driving around the country meeting candidates at airports and all that good stuff that used to happen uh, in the old days when I was looking for CFO jobs and it's just not pragmatic. And um, I mean a video interview or even a telephone interview is, in my opinion, very very beneficial to getting to know somebody. And also, actually, it's it's now um, encouraged me or forced me, one could also say, to rethink uh, how we're doing our business. And I'm, I spent, uh, uh, I was up to four this morning working with one of my, with one of my students, uh, uh, a very capable young lady, um, to redefine our our business uh, uh, approach. And we're getting ready to launch that uh, uh, in May. Um, so that's that's very wow. exciting and, and very it's, it's it's a lot more digital uh, than it used to be. Uh, and uh, so it's combining um, quality of candidates and speed of availability. That's what it's all about, and that's that's the the, the gap we want to bridge at Finance People Solutions and. Uh, I feel very, very confident that we're going to be uh, pretty successful with that. Wow, amazing. So there's three things that uh, branch off from this that I want to discuss. One is um, these five placements in April and how you managed to um, keep those moving forward because a lot of recruiters are finding that things are going on hold or are being put on pause or even just being canceled altogether. So that's one key thing. Second is um, this new approach that's, you know, more digital uh, and what that involves. And and I know you've done a lot of great content marketing, so I want to talk about that. Um, but one thing I have to ask before we get into all that, how is it that you have one of your employees willing to work until four in the morning? <laughs> well, her name is Neve, and she lives she lives just outside of Frankfurt. Neve is a student, and uh, so she she just out of habit goes to bed very very late, right? And and gets up late. So uh, like Neve will uh, when we talk, it's probably going to be uh, you know noontime uh, today, yeah. Um, so she, uh, it's for her, it's natural. And for me, my sleeping pattern has changed dramatically. 
uh, so I feel uh, very creative uh, uh, in the evening and, 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 and night. And it's typical for me not to go to bed till to three in the morning in these Corona days. I mean, I'm relaxing. I have a glass of wine and, uh, and uh, all that. Uh, so it's totally relaxing, but I really enjoy it. And, you know, the creative juices seem to be flowing um, because in our industry, I think there's a huge amount of potential uh, to redefine the way things are done and give customers a better uh, proposition uh, uh, than they have been getting uh, over many, many years from the, from the classical recruitment people. Okay. So is that, is that normal outside of Corona times to have, you know, your team working flexibly and they, as long as they get the work done and they get the, the objective uh, accomplished, then, you know, they can be flexible in the hours they keep or? Um, well, it depends. Uh, the, uh, Neve is a student and she's a very creative person. So we, we were designing uh, PowerPoint slides and, and LinkedIn uh, links and all that good stuff yesterday. That's not typical in the, in the, in, in the Corona period uh, or, well, in, in the Corona period, uh, perhaps more so. But no, in, in general, my team, they, they, they have their regular hours. So we all know where each other is and how we can reach them. Uh, my team starts usually at, at 8 in the morning or 8.30 and uh, I always have uh, in my calendar when somebody is 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 working and uh, and when they're not, and uh, that always needs to be in my calendar because I need to know where the folks are. Uh, right. But that okay. works very well. I mean, I have a very decentralized team. I've got uh, um, Christiana in Hamburg, Christiana in Frankfurt, Susanna in Kassel, uh, Neve in Darmstadt, and my son who helps out as well. Justin is in Barcelona. Cool. We talked also at two o'clock this morning. All right. Awesome. So um, just while we're on the topic, what is the structure of your team, Paul? Because I see you as kind of the rainmaker. You are the one who is really doing the deals, architecting, you know, the, the uh, placement process, um, winning the, the, the customers, interviewing the candidates. But you have uh, five people, you, you said. What, what are their roles and how do they support you? Yeah, no, um, I wouldn't be able to do this on my own. And it, it's, uh, it's sometimes, it, it, I mean, last year, we actually did over 4 million revenue last year, Mark. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, was, I was at the limit. Uh, but the, the, our organization is, is getting more and more efficient every day. Um, uh, last year was the first real test. So I'm a big fan of getting the, the efficient process. And I think we can leverage the organization a lot more. Uh, so... I have, let's start off with um, Susanna. She, she does search. Mm -hmm. So she's uh, all over the networks for the candidates. She's got a great eye uh, uh, for CVs uh, for people that we don't know. She's fantastic at that. Um, and, and, you know, Susanna was, was responsible for finding all the candidates for the placements in April. Um, and then I have uh, another lady in, in Hamburg, Christiana. Christiana does... She's responsible for, for maintaining our recruitment database, so all of our CVs and candidates, et cetera. And uh, Christiana also does uh, uh, acquisition, so she's a pipeline filler as well. Uh, we work very closely on that. 
And then I've got Christiana in Frankfurt who does back office. She does the accounting. She does the, uh, the transaction recording, the contracts we do together. Um, Christiana works more or less half time. She's got another job as well. And then we've got uh, uh, Neve in, in, in Darmstadt who does, uh, um, she does research uh, work for Christiana. So looking at companies that have open positions and, and, and putting that in, in easy uh, uh, to use formats for, for Christiana or for myself and helps me very much with my LinkedIn um, communication. And Justin uh, uh, does more or less the same with the with the LinkedIn. He's he's studying for his masters, um, so when he has time, he helps me on on LinkedIn or other projects. And I always get his opinion on on strategy because he's a very bright uh, uh, guy and and very good on on strategy. So he's a chip off the old block. Uh, yeah, perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. So and I really uh, enjoy working with him. So Justin and Eve, are they interns or, you know, or are they sort of fully fledged employees? Uh, Well, no, they're part timers, but they're on the payroll. Okay, All right. Got it. Students on the payroll. Got it. Wow. That sounds awesome. You've got it really well structured so that you everyone has a different role and they're all uh, feeding, you know, um, into you. You when you say acquisition and pipeline building, are you talking about the client side? Yes. Okay. So they're looking for uh, job openings, you know, potential clients and doing research on, on, on the clients and then feeding those leads to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, new business, new customers. Uh, we're always rethinking how we do that. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. This is a, it's, it's like the UK. It's a very competitive market. Uh, I mean, you know, we have special relationships with the CFOs um, and less so with, with HR people. We have those as well. But, uh, I mean, the HR people get, you know, bothered, quote, unquote, by, uh, you know, 25,000 recruiters every day. And they're just not open to, to your classical approach. And, and that's understandable, right? Um, so you've got to find smart ways of, uh, of winning the HR people over to your way of recruiting and uh, convincing them to test you and, uh, and give you a chance to prove how good you are. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I love recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. What for you has been a successful route to acquiring new new customers? Um, it's it's 
predominantly uh, uh, network. Um, uh, you know, cold acquisition, I think, does not work anymore. Uh, or it certainly is the exception. I mean, one big part of the equa equation, Mark, as you know, is our partner, Finance Magazine, and uh, and we have a great uh, um, teamwork uh, with with Mark uh, and Michael and Ole and and Dominic and the team there, a super relationship, and they, uh, you know, they're a very renowned, the the most renowned CFO. Uh, um, magazine in, in German-speaking Europe is getting more and more successful. They're doing really well now in the corona time with digital journalism. Superb stuff. And so we're partners. So we, we have our advertising in their uh, magazine. Uh, I do TV interviews with, with, uh, my, uh, with my friend Michael. Uh, we love working together. And um, that is very good for our branding because, you know, we're the only uh, recruitment company that, that has that kind of a, of a, of a, um, a partnership with, with Finance Magazine. And Finance Magazine is a, is a subsidiary of the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung, which is the uh, most well-known newspaper in all of Germany. Paul, this is genius. How did you set this up so that you actually are a partner in, uh, in Finance People magazine? Now, that's, that's an interesting story. I mean, I always wanted to have uh, not just be another guy on the block because I felt in the marketplace that that was going to be very difficult. And I was on, my, on a train coming from Hanover back to Frankfurt, and I was, uh, uh, I was on a conference call with a uh, 100 hedge fund managers Uh, uh, who had lent money to Telecolumbus, which is a very famous uh, restructuring case that I actually uh, uh, managed with, with my teammates from Alvarez and Razal back in 2009. And I was in the, uh, in the restaurant part of the, uh, of the train, and the guy sitting opposite me uh, said, uh, were you just talking to hedge funds? And I said, yes. And uh, he's the chief editor at Finance uh, Magazine. He's now moved on and set up his own company and we work closely with them these days as well. But from that point, uh, we developed, uh, also we've become friends. Uh, he was at my wedding with his wife um, over, over the last years. We love working together and brainstorming together. And uh, I proposed the idea to him of having a, a partnership And, and he loved the idea. And, uh, uh, you know, the more revenue we have, the, the, the more fun they have with us. And uh, it's, it's a really uh, symbiotic relationship that, uh, uh, that, I, that I enjoy a lot. I mean, you know, having worked with great companies like Nike and Pepsi, you're surrounded by great people. And when you go out and set up your own little company, you miss that. But I have the pleasure of working with very creative uh, people like Michael and Marcus and and, and Ola and Dominic uh, in the in the you know the senior guys at the at the at the journal at the finance journal, and you know you get a, you have an awful lot of satisfaction from working with people with people like that. So uh, we'll put a link, by the way, to the finance magazine in in the show notes, Paul. Well, who is the main person over there that uh, is your kind of um, you know main point of contact? Well, I I go back a long way with the uh, with the now co general manager uh, um, whose whose name is Dominic uh, and a great guy uh, who's made a huge career uh, at the at the organization. He's now head of sales. 
uh, and, and a general manager or a Geschäftsführer, as we say in Germany, so a big job. And uh, Dominic was was the guy who I um, actually started off advertising with when I had my my previous company, uh, uh, which I still have for for private equity benchmarking, uh, um, Taft and Partners. So uh, um, Dominic now he's he's gone up in the ranks. Uh, so I deal now on a daily basis with uh, uh, with Ole, uh, who's who's now the the, uh, the the guy in charge below him, and and his direct reports, uh, Michael, Marcus, uh, um, they're the guys I deal with uh, most of the time. I mean, Michael helps me with my blogs. Uh, by the way, I sent Michael a blog at about three o'clock this morning. <laughs> so, so you know, productive productive nights, but. Uh, yeah, they're the they're the uh, the key people that I work with. It's it's a really smart move on your part because I can see you you've got advertising, you've got exposure through doing like TV. They they do a lot of media, so TV interviews. Uh, they they host events, and then you get to speak or or moderate a panel at these events. So you meet a lot of CFOs and senior finance people there. So I understand what you how you benefit from this partnership, but what do you give them in return, or how? Like, how do you contribute in a way that makes them want to uh, partner with you? Well, they do it because they love me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we have, we have. A, I, mean, I don't want to give too much details on it, but sure. we, have, we have a relationship, uh, uh, which means the, the more profit we make, the, uh, uh, the better the, their P&L looks. Okay. All right. So it's a it's a financial partnership. It's not just a, like a, a joint fit, like a. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a real. OK, no, I there's, see. There's, there's a, a, an invoice at the end of every year. And, uh, uh, you know, that and, and that's fine. I mean, that's yeah. that's the way the relationship works. Yeah. And um, I think they're, you know, a big help for us. Brilliant. I love that. Now, um, you also mentioned something else, which is your benchmarking service for um for private equity. private equity firms is that a, a business generator for you or is that well what? i i don't have time to do that anymore okay um and and uh, um that that was a tough that was actually quite tough because okay. uh, uh you know you're competing there with the uh, with the big strategic uh, uh um um, consulting guys like like McKinsey and BCG and, and Bain and all those guys. So that's difficult. But, uh, you know, it, it was great for me because I, I put some tools in place, benchmarking tools, and did a lot of work for one particular private equity fund a few years ago with, with one of my other business partners, Christoph. And uh, you have a hugely granular knowledge of a finance organization and how it works and how it fits together and how it should develop now in the, in the, in the, in the era of digitization. Um, and I really try and keep in touch with the, with the trends and the tools that are go, that are going on um, to make sure I am an on the edge, uh, a CFO, uh, a guy and CFO recruiter. Uh, that's, that's another must uh, in, in, in our business proposition. And did it, so it sounds like the amount of work involved, it, it wasn't sustainable, but did it allow you to build relationships with, with hedge funds that were profitable or? Yeah, well, we don't. Oh, sorry, not hedge funds, PE firms. 
<laughs> yes, yes, uh, for sure. Uh, one in particular. I mean, that is that is uh, not scalable, uh, yeah. uh, Mark. You know, I mean, it, when you do a benchmarking project, you're on the ground, uh, you know, for three or four weeks, and you can't do anything else because there's a there's a deadlines. Uh, so what it is is when a private equity company acquires or a fund acquires a new portfolio company, they would send me in to look at the finance organization and to benchmark it versus, you know, the, the, the best practices, uh, PE finance organization. So it's a full-time, mm. intensive uh, um, uh, job, uh, but obviously very, very close to recruiting because you establish in that benchmarking process, uh, you know, uh, the caliber of the people in the portfolio company that has just been acquired, and, you know, you have to make the call if these are developable people or if they're potentially people in the wrong slot for the private equity world. And that's quite often the case. So that's uh, offselling then on the recruitment side. It's interesting, Paul, because what what's cool about this is uh, you have a very creative mind and um you know, and, and so even if these ideas ultimately you don't, you know, you don't continue with them, I think, um, you know, it's still a fantastic idea and some of them are going to take hold and like the uh, finance magazine and, and others may not uh, have the same longevity, but that's really cool. Yeah. My, Paul, my, my, my business partner there who, 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 <clears throat> who's more or less doing consulting full-time, he does that now full-time. Okay. Benchmarks finance organizations and uh, and uh, and is is very successful doing that. Great, interesting. So circling back to these five placements in April, I'm still desperate to find out how you pulled that off. Like, was that just were you lucky that your those particular clients, you know, decided that they were critical hires, they had to go forward, or or like, how did you engineer that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 the, the placements were uh, were um, initiated in the pre-corona days, um, but when I think about it, there was never any thought of uh, of, of stopping them uh, in the corona period uh, uh, because they were in industries that uh, that are uh, high growth industries. I mean, digital payments uh, was one of them. There's another. Uh, um, family company in the in the in the pharmaceutical business. So you know, clearly we had, we were lucky. Two businesses that uh, that highly benefited from the Corona crisis. Yeah, um, and and it, you know, it, it was then convincing the candidates to move ship in the Corona period. Right. That that's. I mean, I've had so many candidates say to me, Paul, I don't want to be in a probation period during the uh, the virus crisis <clears throat> and that's you know, of course very understandable but uh, back to the relationship again you know yeah, i have the relationship with these candidates and and they they trust me and uh, um, actually there was was nobody there with with cold feet uh, it, it just worked out well and uh, and uh, we closed uh, five jobs brilliant so you raised a good point, which is a lot of my clients are saying that even if the client is willing, that candidates are, you know, reluctant to, even if they're not happy in their job, they're thinking better the devil, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, feeling because of the uncertainty around everything, they're, they're hesitant to, to jump ship. How, how did you kind of reassure those candidates that this was still uh, a good move that was in their interest longer term? 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, clearly they were candidates who were who were uh, ready to move. Okay, you know, uh, I wasn't the one who convinced them to move. Uh, I convinced them to move to my customers, yes, but they they wanted to move in the first place. But uh, you know, it, it works the other way as well, Mark. I had a I had an interview yesterday lined up for one o'clock uh, with a candidate, and and he sent me a text. Uh, he said, "Paul, I've thought about it over the weekend. It's not the right time. I, I don't want to proceed." So that that happens as well, right? Um, and you've got to respond. You've got to respect that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there were people who wanted to move. I. I'm very close to the candidates in the process. So we have, uh, you know, a lot of contact points throughout that process. It's not just uh, a call and an interview and then, you know, you, you, uh, you uh, then pass them on to the customer. It's much more than that. It's a continual process. Uh, we don't just send CVs to customers. We do profiling on the candidates. Uh, where we ask them to describe themselves and their most important attributes and why they're a particular fit for a particular job and what's their claim to fame from the past and uh, you know what salary expectations they have and are they mobile. So that's all on a one-pager. So customers have the holistic picture of the candidate uh, uh, when they start an interview and they don't uh, use the interview to to find out those things. They know those things before they start the interview and they can use the interview to get to know the person a lot better. So I think it's a, it's, it's a very sensible uh, way of doing it. And I don't think uh, other companies do that either. That makes sense. So you were very close to the candidates. So there, I guess there was less chance you were going to be taken by surprise, even if any of them had got cold feet. So that's um, that's yeah. a huge plus. Yeah, um, that 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 does happen now and then. Uh, I, I have to say, I mean, we are we are far from perfect, um, but it's 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 more certainly more the exception than the rule, and mm. that's a big advantage for our customers is is our relationship with the candidates because the likelihood of them. Uh, um, uh, you know, discontinuing a process without me knowing about it on time is pretty low. Great. Paul, can we speak about your business model? Because you have this really exciting uh, interim to perm proposition, which I think is one of the secrets to your success. Can you speak on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Germany, uh, you have very long contractual notice periods. Uh, the more senior you are, the longer they are. So let's say uh, a CFO and board member would quite often have uh, a year notice period or even the quoted companies, you know, they have contracts three years or five years like uh, uh, um, in the DAX area, which is the DAX is the FTSE equivalent here in Germany. So you've got long notice periods, right? Um, Now, so uh, let's say... uh, Customers are not happy, and then they, they, you know, they don't want to keep their CFO on board, and that happens an awful lot. Mark, uh, the the number of uh, CFO placements that have failed in the marketplace over here, over the last couple of years, has increased dramatically. And that was a, a topic of the last TV interview I did uh, with Michael back in January of this year. So. Um, we, uh, for quote unquote, invented this model. And we, we, from the outset, I said, we've got to do interim, we've got to do perm, we've got to be a solutions company. So we're very much, there's a lot of companies over here that either do either or, you know, the, the Aegon Sanders, they do uh, permanent, uh, Russell Reynolds, uh, uh, Spencer Stewart, etc. They do not do interim. 
Uh, and then you have other companies, the bigger players over here in Germany, uh, the market dominators, they just do interim. We do both deliberately. And the, the, the border between those two, between interim and perm, is becoming more and more gray. And for example, in, in the private equity world, uh, when they just hire, you know, sign up a, a new portfolio company, uh, they don't have time to, uh, to wait six months for a CFO. Yeah, uh, the guy who's in there is probably not up to expectations. That happens quite a lot. So they want to act and get a new person on board very damn quickly. And uh, that's where they come to us. And we will uh, just looking at our network of CFOs this morning with, with, with Christiane in Hamburg. We've got some excellent CFOs that, that we, we know really, really well. And so, you know, I get a call from my private equity customer and uh, um, send them over three proposals. Yeah, and uh, and I know uh, that these candidates can do the job because I know them so well. So I don't have to. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, if you, you look at things like fit and have they got experience in that industry before, blah blah blah. Uh, but in general, they're they're candidates that I would have no hesitation in presenting. And so the private equity guys look at them, and uh, I always have in the back of my mind, okay. Uh, would they start they start interim and then move to perm? Because, you know, CFOs love working for private equity funds. Uh, it's, it's, it's the best space to be in from a point of view of uh, making things happen, value creation. And, uh, you know, if, 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 you, if you're lucky, also very lucrative, yeah? So the combination of, of really having to deliver value creation and earn a pile of money, perhaps, uh, you know, is very tempting. So every CFO wants to get into the PE space. Uh, but a lot of the CFOs are not uh, made for PE. So if I understand correctly, Paul, that your solution that you've developed um, de-risks the hiring process for the customer because they might be reluctant to hire someone if they're going to be stuck with them then for like a year or three years or something and they can't get rid of them. So they get to try before they buy and it also speeds up the whole thing. You're a very good listener, Mark. Exactly that. And there's one other element of it as well, Mark, which is uh, job profiles change. Uh, so when when a you know when a PE uh, fund buys a company, let's say a uh, 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 Mittelstand, so a, 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 you know a mid-sized company here in Germany, uh, who've been run by by you know a corporation or a small corporation or, or a family, uh, they're 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 not. Um, used to the private equity DNA and, and getting your arms around the numbers and granular and, and, and all that good stuff. So they have to take out the CFO, right? And uh, that's, uh, th that happens in 70 to 80% of the cases. And they can't wait, you know, six months to find somebody else. Uh, so they need somebody. But, you know, at the initial phase, it's heavy lifting, Right, so the organization's broken. You need new people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's you've got to be, you know, really a change agent. You've got to be operationally very close. You've got to know where the problems are in an organization. So you, you've got to be able to take your helicopter down, as I call it, and understand the problem, and then back up, and then get people in. Uh, I always say, if you have the right people, you can't prevent success. And then later, it might evolve to a position where you need somebody more strategic than operational, yeah? And, and that's a different type of person again. Uh, so it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's a phased approach. Uh, and, and it works really well because the CFOs love it. 
the private equity customers love it. They have a solution right away. Uh, and there's so many examples of private equity funds over here where, where they just couldn't get management right in the portfolio company. And that you just don't want to have because it costs so much money and credibility. You know, when you hire a CFO and it goes wrong and the organization's kind of saying, oh God, these private equity guys really do not know what they're doing. And uh, private equity was very much stigmatized here in Germany uh, by the politicians many, many years ago. Uh, so uh, um, they, uh, I mean, they were, they were compared to uh, Heuschrecken, which is a, a grasshopper insect. Yeah, that was a, all over the press that they just uh, uh, destroyed jobs and destroyed companies and just pulled money out. A very, very biased and unbalanced view of private equity. Um, so that that uh, uh, that was a real barrier for the private equity funds, um, and and now you know bringing in people is a lot more people out there with experience in private equity. There's quite a few seasoned private equity uh, professional CEOs, and we know them all. I mean, uh, I don't think there's uh, one that I don't know, uh, and I go out of my way to know. And I always I'm always learning to uh, meeting new candidates. Uh, yesterday, a new candidate, treasury guy. I knew of him, but I'd never uh, met him personally. And I, I met him yesterday uh, on a, on, a, on a video phone call. Fantastic. Looking for new candidates, always. So, Paul, like, what would be the sort of mix in your business between, like, revenue from interim versus revenue from permanent? Um, well, I can tell you over over the 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 last few years, we're doing more and more interim business mm-hmm. um, uh, because it's the instant solution kind of thing, and and I get more of a kick out of that I, from my own experience of being a being you know a CRO at, at a very demanding project uh, working very closely with uh, with Tony Alvarez and the Alvarez Marzal team uh, so you, you know you get used to delivering quality results in a very short period of time it's the combination that uh, that uh, is the kick for me and that's why I like the interim side of things um, and interim to be fair is, is is a much easier business than than, than perm uh, because the the culture fit uh, with interim, is it plays much less of a role than it does on the perm side because the interim managers are usually people you can put them on the ground anywhere and they'll 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 work out you know they're sociable people used to meeting different organizations and uh, and are happy to be out of the political situations that you typically have when you hire permanent people that's one of the main reasons people do go interim because they just hate politics Hmm. Interesting. I didn't think of it that way. It's hmm. true. If you talk to the interim managers, uh, you know, right, I know it from my own experience. When I worked for Advent, I, uh, I, I, I issued an invoice every month, right? And it's a nice feeling. You feel very independent when you're, when you're issuing an invoice and you know you could, you could, if you wanted to, walk away the next day and find something else, right? Uh, so that's a different DNA, the interim people, than the perm people. So you find it is actually easier. You enjoy it more. It's more fast paced. How, how does it compare? Is it more lucrative? Like if you consider the fee for an interim project versus the equivalent level of person on a permanent basis, then is the interim more profitable? Um, well, actually, it depends on the amount of time uh, that it takes to fill a permanent role. If you can fill a permanent role quickly, and, and we're getting more and more into that situation, as I said at the beginning, where, where our network is there, and I, I'm just working on the model, which is called uh, We Don't Search, We Have, right? Okay, yeah. And um, so then that's more lucrative, 
right? But it's also higher risk because, uh, uh, you know, it's like, it's like I always call, uh, you know, it's like moving a football team or it's almost like getting married, you know? You, mm-hmm. You've got to really fit with your, with your new partner, with your new company and, and the soft skills. And, and as I said in my interview with Michael, uh, you know, interviewing somebody um, in, in, in an interview room before they join the company is a much different atmosphere than when they join, when they come in, the pressure is high, their boss might be under pressure, behaves differently than in an interview room. It's a completely different world. Right. And it's very difficult to anticipate if it's going to work or not. And thus, mm. so many failures in, in CFO recruitment in Germany in 2018 and 2019 is unbelievable unbelievably high and uh, that's why i think our model of interim to perm is is a great de-risker i love it paul we're out of time for today but i that has just flown by we've been we've been chatting for an hour already so i really appreciate your time and and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom you uh, gathered over 60 years in, in, of life and and uh, many years in business i i sincerely appreciate it and, and Mark, I would like to thank you for being a fantastic coach and inspirer for me since we uh, first met back in 2015 or 16 or whatever it was. But thanks from me as well. Very, very inspirational working together with you. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Paul Taff, I'll speak to you again soon. Take care, Mark. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.